We know you have lots of questions. If you think that you've developed symptoms. Should I avoid large public gatherings? Whether schools should be closed. Welcome to Common Sense. Here we address your questions about COVID-19 with interviews featuring experts in medicine and leaders in community, public, and global health. Here's your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. Welcome to our podcast, COVID-19, Common Sense Conversations on the Coronavirus Pandemic. I'm your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. I just want to remind all of our listeners that this is a rapidly evolving topic. So what we are talking about on this episode may change by the time you're listening to it. My guest today is Dr. Sanaz Majd, a board-certified family physician in San Diego, California, and creator of her own popular YouTube channel. Dr. Majd received her undergraduate degree from the University of California, San Diego, and her medical degree from the Drexel University College of Medicine in Philadelphia. Dr. Majd is a medical writer and former host of the House Call Doctor podcast for a total of nine years. Sanaz, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our audience about yourself? No, only that I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. And thank you for creating this series to help educate all of us on COVID-19, something that I think is really highly needed right now. Well, it's been my pleasure. It's been a really exciting project. And I, I think your YouTube channel is great. And so hoping to dive into some of the topics that you've covered there yourself. So I saw a YouTube video you did about what everyone should know about COVID-19 and thought it was really, really helpful. Can you break that down for us and give our audience kind of the highlights of that that show? Sure. I created the video mainly to answer the same questions that I was receiving over and over again from patients, from family, friends, and viewers. And then my goal was really to address the three main concerns that I kept hearing over, over and over again, which was number one, what do the numbers surrounding the COVID-19 re- reported in the media really mean? And then discussed how they can sometimes be a little misleading. Number two, the differences and similarities between the COVID-19 flu and the cold viruses, and there seemed to be a lot of confusion over this. So I created a chart that compared the three of them visually in the video. And lastly, then gave 11 tips on exactly what to do if you happen to get sick with a fever or cough in the upcoming months. There's been a lot of talk about how to prevent the contraction of the virus, like hand hygiene and social distancing of six feet, et cetera, but not a lot of discussion on what we should do if we actually get sick with an unknown virus. Perhaps we can uh, utilize that chart that you created and put it in the show notes or even up on the website that we've created to help educate the public about this topic. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm happy to share. Um, in your video, you talk about CFR Can you explain the idea of what CFR is, tell us what it means, and break it down for us? Sure. So CFR stands for case fatality rate, which is the fraction of deaths over confirmed cases of any virus. It seems to be the main statistic that the media has been reporting for COVID-19, and it's often like all over the place. But it is an ever-evolving number that will change as we test more and more people through time. So, so far, the main data that we have on COVID-19 is from China, and it may vary significantly once we have data from not only outside of China, but here in the U.S. So to put it into context, the CFR of the seasonal flu is about 0.1%, and the World Health Organization reported a global 
CFR of 3.4% in early March, which was derived by dividing roughly 3,100 deaths over 90,000 confirmed cases at the time. But now, according to the latest numbers, it actually appears to be closer to 4.1% last time I checked today, with about 12,000 deaths over 292,000 positive cases. So it was a little concerning, given that it was more than what we thought, because China had reported a CFR of 2.3%. But the truth is that there are a few factors that we all need to be aware of when we see these numbers in the media. So first of all, the CFR can actually appear worse and will vary significantly in the early days of any virus. And the COVID-19 is definitely a new bug that was introduced back in just late December of 2019. And this is because we don't really have an accurate denominator yet, meaning the number of confirmed cases. So because we've been testing the sickest of the patients who actually show up generally, this can explain it. So people with mild illness who don't show up to the doctor's office or the ER will never get tested and will not be accounted for. So the more mild cases that we test, the smaller this CFR rate will become. Now compare these rates to South Korea, who has been testing about 20,000 people a day via drive-through testing centers. Since today, when I looked up their website, they've been, they have discovered about 104 deaths over 8,897 positive cases, which yields a CFR of about 1.1%. Now, South Korea has been testing everyone across the board, so we can argue that their numbers likely reflect a more accurate picture of this virus. Now, in the U.S., the CFR began about 3.8% when we first started testing. And as of March 20th, the CDC reports the U.S. has had about 200 deaths over about 15,000 cases, yielding a CFR of 1.3% now. So this has been trending downward as we've tested more. Another factor to take into consideration when viewing the CFR is that it will vary depending on your age. So most deaths have been in those age 60 or higher. And the CFR is about 0.2% in children, and it rises to 14.8% in those over age 80. So we really must be extra careful if we are age 60 or higher. And this reflects the recent CDC advisory for this age group to stay at home as much as possible. Third, the CFR also varies depending on how healthy you are. So those with cardiovascular disease have a reported CFR of about 10.5%. Again, all all these numbers are based from China. Diabetes is 7%. Chronic lung disease, cancer, and hypertension are 6% each. And those without an underlying medical condition reveal a CFR of about 0.9%. So the CDC also issued an advisory for those people with underlying medical conditions of any age to also take extra precautions, just like for those age 60 and higher. And lastly, the CFR will vary depending on the country or the region that you live in. So countries with greater resources and advanced health care equipped to handle a greater load and quality of supportive care may have lower CFRs. So we have to kind of look at these numbers all in context. That's great, Sanaz. That's um, really useful information. So what I'm hearing from you is the case fatality rate for influenza, regular flu that we know of is 0.1%. And then kind of best case scenario so far in South Korea, we're looking at 1.1%. And then data from China as high as 4.1%. So if my math is correct, to date from what we know, 
the COVID virus is somewhere between 11 and 41 times more deadly than influenza is. Correct. Although those numbers probably will trend down as, as we are able to test more because we know in this country, certainly we're not able to test even a fraction of the number of people that South Korea is doing, correct? Correct. Except the 4.1% was a global. Global. Got it. Okay, great. You know, and then the other thing to really think about here is in the US, we think our healthcare system is great. But when you look at international data, it depends what you look at. But the one I most recently looked at is we're ranked number 37 in the world in terms of healthcare. And so, you know, we talk about better outcomes with better healthcare. You do have to weigh that in as we're not the number one that we think we are in many no. things, right? <laughs> exactly. That's a great point. So, Sanaz, our knowledge of COVID-19 is changing quite rapidly, and, and your YouTube video was released on March 10th of this year. Has anything changed in that short period of time compared when when you were commenting on it? Well, yes, besides the declining CFR from 3.8 to 1.3, which I mentioned, now all 50 states have reported cases of the COVID-19. And now social distancing have been, has been implemented to help slow down the spread and flatten the curve, which is kind of a new term that we've also been hearing about, so that we don't overload hospitals and ventilator use. And it will also allow us to have more time to develop a vaccine and come up with a possible treatment. So this has all been new since then. Several states are also now on lockdown, which is a stay-at-home order and is a step up from simply social distancing. And the states include California, Ohio, and Louisiana, as far as I know. In addition, the CDC has issued an advisory to limit events to 10 people or less for communities with minimal or moderate spread, and then to cancel all events of any size if the spread is more severe. So these, these were new advisories. There's literally, honestly, new information with each and every day that passes. Right. Yeah. I'm going to timestamp us here and tell everybody that it's March 22nd as we record this podcast episode. So it's only 12 days since you released that that YouTube video. Yes. This gives you an idea of how much has changed in our country and in the world in just 12 days and will certainly continue to evolve. Yes. While we're at it, Sanaz, we're talking about your YouTube video. Where can the audience find you on YouTube? Because I actually would advise them to take a look at your channel and, and check out this video that we're talking about. Sure. Thank you. My YouTube channel name is MadgedMD. So you can go to youtube.com slash MadgedMD or simply search for MadgedMD in the search bar within YouTube itself. Right. And that's M-A-J-D-M-D, correct? Correct. All right. Um, so what strategies are you taking in your office to address COVID-19? Yeah, so I work for a large nonprofit group in San Diego with the numerous sites, um, which has been really, really fortunate enough to have on-site testing kits at our own laboratories. Therefore, we've been able to set up a large testing tent outside of our building where we direct all callers, patients who call in, um, who report symptoms and want testing to actually just drive up to the tent. We've also, uh, we also have a team that stands by at the entrance of our building in order to screen anyone that walks in. And also we measure the temperatures of anyone walking in as well. And those who are really sick and need to be seen get masked and escorted directly from the entrance directly into an isolation room. 
Science! 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 Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist Podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes! Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. And we, uh, honestly, we are very, very fortunate to have personal protective equipment that's necessary to protect ourselves at our site too. And in in our entire group, I know there are ERs and other medical facilities who have a very serious shortage, especially of the N95 masks, which is highly concerning. Uh, But these are some of the measures that we've taken since um, all of this began. That's great that they're being so proactive. And I'm glad to hear that your group has enough of the personal protective equipment, because as you said, it is becoming um, a real issue in some communities. So I, I want to touch on a topic um, that's created a li- at least a little bit of controversy and, and concern for, for people that based on initial reports from China that high blood pressure might be associated with an increased risk of mortality in hospitalized patients with COVID-19. A hypothesis was circulated to suggest potential adverse effects of the blood pressure medications called ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers, which are also called ARBs. First, can you tell us what these medications are and give us a few examples from each class of of these medications? Yeah, sure. I've heard about this claim, actually, and I've even had patients call in to inquire about it. So ACE inhibitors, or angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitor, are a group of medications that inhibit a protein enzyme called angiotensin-converting enzyme. So this enzyme typically converts a chemical called angiotensin-1 into angiotensin-2 in the bloodstream. And angiotensin-2 is the villain that causes the muscles surrounding the blood vessels to contract and narrow the lumen of these vessels. So this in turn increases the pressure within the blood vessels and then increases our blood pressure numbers. The ACE inhibitors prevent angiotensin 1 to turn into angiotensin 2 and thereby inhibits this entire process. Examples are lisinopril and benazepril. These are probably the most most two commonly prescribed generics that I see. For ARBs, Now, ARBs stand for angiotensin receptor blockers, which is another drug used to lower blood pressures, but it does it in a slightly different way. ARBs actually block the receptor or the doorway that angiotensin 2, the same villain, binds to. So if it's blocked, it cannot do the bad things that it tends to do. And examples are losartan and valsartan. That's great. Um, can you break down uh, the basis for the theory that, that was developed here about how the ACE inhibitors and ARBs may create issues with COVID-19? Yeah. Uh, well, there's another player in all of this. It's called ACE2, which stands for angiotensin converting enzyme 2, which is a protein enzyme that shares a similar structure to ACE or angiotensin converting enzyme. 
but it's not inhibited by ACE inhibitors or ARPs. And their role is to break down angiotensin II, the main villain that we just reviewed. And in fact, if anything, ACE2 levels are increased in patients on ACE inhibitors and ARPs. So the fear is that the COVID-19 virus, like the coronavirus strain that caused SARS, binds to these ACE2s in order to gain entry into the cells and infect us more easily. So people are worried that this suggests that people on these medications may be more susceptible to the COVID-19 infections, but so far there's really no real evidence of this. Yes, that's great. And I think that's the important piece to say is that they're really it's a theoretical concern that are, so far there is no evidence that, that it actually has manifested itself. And I wanted us to discuss this so we can kind of get out ahead of it and reassure everybody that it's not a big deal like the media is making it seem like and, and, and really try to um, – the healthcare system is starting to become overloaded as it is and yeah. more calls in about ACE inhibitors and ARBs can, can bog things down. So I figure if we're talking about it publicly, that could help. I do know that some uh, there's been experts and also some major medical societies that have come out with advice about this particular issue. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. The American Heart Association and Heart Failure Society of America and the American College of Cardiology issued a joint statement on March 17th to dispel this misinformation. And the Council on Hypertension strongly recommends that physicians and patients should continue treatment with their blood pressure medications because there is no clinical or scientific evidence to suggest that treatment with ACE inhibitors or ARBs, like you said, should be discontinued because of this COVID-19 infection. That's great. So bottom line, what are you advising your patients uh, who take either an ACE inhibitor or an ARB to do in this current environment? Now, I tell them there's no evidence of this happening with COVID-19 to date and that the expert groups are strongly recommending that patients continue taking the same medication treatments for now. Great. Um, so I'd like to switch gears here, Sanaz, and, and go back to talking a little bit about social media and medical education. Can you tell us a bit about the podcast that you used to host? Sure. I was the House Call Doctor host of Macmillan Publishing's podcasting network called quickanddirtytips.com. And my goal there was really to dispel common myths and to discuss common medical conditions by translating potentially anxiety-provoking medical jargon into more understandable terms. Yeah, and I can just watching those, they're very well done, full of really, really useful information. You can tell that you're a talented educator. They are still out there and available for people to find. Is that right? Yes, still out there on any podcasting um, platform like iTunes, or actually it's called Apple Podcast now, um, Audible, I believe. Yeah, so any you can access it um, actually online as well by going directly to the website, quickanddirtytips.com. Okay, great. And it's called the House Call Doctor Podcast? Correct. Okay. I want to make sure everybody knows how to find it because it, it really is well done. So tell us how and why did you switch over to YouTube? That's a great question. I was actually podcasting for almost a decade. Honestly, I really enjoyed every moment of it. And I was fortunate enough to be part of their team and learn so much about medical writing and social media during that entire experience. It was really an, an irreplaceable experience. But I was truly intrigued by YouTube, knowing that video is really taking up the world by storm and it's really where it's all headed. 
And I think through time, I just really needed a new challenge, to be honest. And also, YouTube is a platform which really allows more of an opportunity to incorporate more creativity. Like there's more room to be artistic, given that it's a visual platform. So I really kind of missed that um, while podcasting. So I really I just went from using audio and podcasting to adding video to the audio. And really, that's it. But it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it so far. Yeah, you do a great job with the visuals. And I, I think it really takes advantage of your many talents. The first um, video that was ever played on MTV back in the 80s when it came out was a song called Video Killed the Radio Star. Oh, I remember so that. I suspect, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it sounds like you kind of took the same line of thinking as YouTube came out and moved from uh, just audio to audio with video, right? <laughs> well, podcasting still has its own place. I still listen to podcasts too. Oh, yeah. Podcasting, I think, has kind of had a, a resurgence recently. Yeah. Even getting back to more traditional forms of communication, you've written a lot of articles intended to provide medical education for the public. I, I'd love it if you would tell our audience where they can find those articles, too, because they're, they're packed full of really useful health information. Yeah. So I've written a few articles on Business Insider, of which one went viral on the topic of why your doctor is late, <laughs> a really hot topic, apparently, and understandably. So I have a few articles there. I also have written for um, a magazine called Pake, Pake Magazine. It's been about a decade that I've been writing a column for them. It's a bilingual magazine that belongs to the San Diego Persian, Persian Cultural Center. And it's not only available online at peakmagazine.com, but also dispersed um, throughout the country as well. And of course, all the transcripts for my prior podcast episodes can actually be found, like I mentioned, on the quickanddirtytips.com slash housecalldoctor website. Your website says that you're trying to provide a credible source of medical information, which is exactly what we're trying to do on this podcast. So I really appreciate that. Where would you send people to find credible information about COVID-19? Well, thank you for creating this series, first of all. I think it's exactly what the public really needs right now. So we are grateful to you. So I've, I have stated on my videos on the coronavirus pandemic to always seek information directly from the CDC and the World Health Organization website. They provide a wealth of information, up-to-date statistics, and honestly are the most trustworthy sources of information online for people who are seeking um, new information as every day passes. And where can people find you on social media? Well, I'm really everywhere <laughs> on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm at S, um, as, as in my first name, Sanaz. So at S Majd MD on TikTok, I'm at Majd MD, my website, MajdMD.com. And of course, my YouTube channel at Majd MD. And we'll make sure those end up in the show notes so that everybody has access to that. Sanaz, is there anything else that you'd like to tell the audience or any other topics that you would like to mention that I have not asked you about? No, I just wanted to thank you so much for having me here, Ted. Honestly, it's been truly a pleasure and an honor to be here. Well, it's been our pleasure having you. I, I know how busy you are with your family and all of your medical education and a busy clinical practice. So we really appreciate your taking the time out of your evening to record this and to help educate the public. So we thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. 
This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. If you have questions about COVID-19 that you'd like discussed on the podcast, send an email to info at arslanga.media. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Be vigilant, but remain calm. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.